This podcast is brought to you with the help of our sponsor, AWeber, the world's leading email marketing and automation provider. Since 1998, AWeber has helped more than 1 million entrepreneurs grow their businesses. Their suite of marketing, automation, and sales tools make it easy to connect with prospects and customers. If you're a team of one, AWeber is still the best option when it comes to marketing your business. The Accidental Entrepreneur is also brought to you through our affiliate relationships with the following sponsors. One of One Productions, the New Jersey-based podcast studio that produces and edits both audio and video podcasts. They sell equipment for the average podcaster and have even created a guesting kit exclusively for our listeners. North Authentic, the conscious hair care marketplace offering the cleanest brands from around the world. The Healthy Place, the e-commerce site with thousands of supplements to help you live a healthier life, along with natural solutions for chronic pain, stress, anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, and much, much more. And be sure to support the podcast by ordering some logo merchandise from our online store. Listen to all of our sponsors' commercials later in this episode and follow their links in the show notes to learn more about their products and services. So there, there are a lot of learnings in that. And, okay. and you know, we... we um, we shut that business down, and then I rededicated my life to starting a company called Roost, which was an online marketplace right. for social entrepreneurs. Okay. And then I have been dedicated to using for-profit business uh, ever since to creating social impact, starting with our so team. You, so you walked away from the, the lumber broker company with a little bit of money, and you started Roost. Roost is kind of like a, a LinkedIn for social media, social network. Think about it like it was like more like an Etsy dropship oh, okay. marketplace for brands that give back. So whatever they're making or selling, and, the, and there's a social. So it might not be. It might be a company that's selling something and then giving their profit somewhere, or they, it could be all kinds of different kinds of social. Yeah, and we did the research and the ratings, and then the diligence on them, and then we said what they do. And the, and the thesis was if we could embed into the shopping experience, it was focused on millennial shoppers. If we right. could embed into the shopping experience, what these companies are doing that's giving back or making the world a better place, that it would affect, it would have higher conversion, higher LTV, higher repeat purchase. And what we found um, is that it actually didn't affect conversion. Uh, it didn't really have demonstrable impact. Well, it did have impact on LTV, customer lifetime value, but um, it, it, we didn't recognize it because they went direct to the brands usually right. do purchase and but what it did do is it, it had a, a massive effect on on viral factor on k factor and um people loved telling other people what they had and what the story was the information provided in these episodes is for entertainment purposes only it is not a guarantee of success or to be construed as advice of any kind you should always seek advice from local licensed professionals before making any decisions the dictionary defines an entrepreneur as a person who organizes and manages any enterprise especially a business usually with considerable initiative and risk People often start a business without much choice, perhaps due to a job loss or just being dissatisfied at work, and they come up with an idea they just know can be successful. They become entrepreneurs by accident. That is to say their success or failure happens by accident, not with intention. My name is Mitch Beinhacker. I'm a corporate attorney and a business advisor. You're listening to The Accidental Entrepreneur, my podcast about how to achieve success on purpose, not by accident. Join me along with our monthly guests where we share our knowledge and help you get a hold of your business. And now on to today's episode. Hey everybody, Brent Freeman here, founder and president of Stealth Venture Labs, serial entrepreneur, and I'm really excited to share my story, my learnings, my failures uh, in hopes of inspiring you to live the life of your dreams. 
Okay, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I got an interesting guest with me across the other side of the country. I was actually talking to somebody this morning, Brent, from um, uh, Sweden. So I was on the other side of the world this morning. So, Um, And if you're listening to us on your favorite directory and you can leave a review, please leave us a five-star review so we can keep bringing good content to the people that need it, including the discussion we're going to have today with Brent from Stealth Venture Labs. Oh, and if you're watching on YouTube to see the video, please be sure to hit the like button and subscribe to our feed. So Brent Freeman, I'm glad we got connected, I think, through either a referral or a booking agency or something like that, right? Yep. And you are a definitely a serial entrepreneur, a venture capitalist, uh, angel investor, the whole nine yards, right? Afflicted, guilty as charged, right, addicted, cool. afflicted, blessing and a curse. Yeah, man. Thanks for having cool. me. It's really- no, I appreciate it. So you 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 know the gig. We you know we go through um, lessons learned and yeah. you know mistakes you made, things you do differently, and all the good stuff that you want to share with people. Maybe want to go like I always say back a little bit. Your background growing up, or you know how you kind of got into being an entrepreneur. Not everybody wakes up and says, "I'll be an entrepreneur and I won't work for a company." We want to share you know, that love- side of it. I love the title of your show because um, uh, I remember when I went to college, I'll go into kind of my background and all that. Sure. Uh, second, I remember when I went to college and I, I did join the entrepreneur program kind of in the last part of my uh, college years. Yeah. There was this big debate of are entrepreneurs born or are they created? And right. a lot of people yeah. thought, um, oh, no, no, entrepreneurs are born. And right. you just either are or you aren't. Um, I wasn't a born entrepreneur. And so I, I obviously fundamentally disagreed with that. I think there are some people who grow up and they're just like, lemonade stands and, you know, yard sale businesses. Yeah, they have the personality for it, whatever. Yeah, and maybe yeah. they had the family that taught them how to do that. Um, I think that that is that is a partial route to it. But I think what happens is that entrepreneurs are fundamentally people who view the world differently, yeah. who view the status quo as not enough. Um, and they it starts with a simple of it doesn't have to be like that. Or there's got to be a better way. Right. And um, a, little dry, a little drive in there. A little, yeah. And so and so my story is similar. I, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, but I wasn't uh, uh, I wasn't, you know, in the dot com bubble or in that, you know, vibe. Right. Or any. My dad is a, uh, a cinematographer and has okay. been for 50 years uh, and an independent filmmaker. Um, and uh, my birth mom passed away from cancer when I was seven. And then my dad married whom I call my earth mom now. Okay. Um, both were Italian women. So he has a, he's a type. There you go. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and she was an entrepreneur. And so I got to see uh, growing up, she was, uh, you know, became very, um, uh, we became very close. And so she uh, ran her own business and my dad ran his own like single practice consultancy, freelancer, cinematographer, director of photography. Right. Very much an artist, very much focused on the passion of storytelling uh, rather than the business of filmmaking. Whereas uh, my uh, stepmom was focused on the business. business. Yes. And she uh, worked her butt off. And so did my dad, but it would be six months, you know, or six weeks in on set or on location and then off. Right. right? Um, Project based. Project based a lot. Yeah. I got to see the dichotomy between both worlds. Okay. The quote unquote, you know, art, artistic, starving artist world and, you know, and right. storytelling versus like, let's chase and, and crush on the business. Side. Um, and I never really resonated uh, 100% with either. I liked right. both. Right. And so um, I wasn't uh, the, the the guy that ran the, the lawn businesses and the lemon state, lemonade stands, right. but I always had opinions about how businesses were run. I'm like, that's bullshit. Or like, that's, right. that's uh, terrible. How can you make That's money terrible. Or why yeah. they're treating their employees like that. Right. What? Jerks, you know, so I always had right. opinions. Like, and you know what? Um, it takes both sides, right? There's 
Some people are too creative, like you said, with your dad, and he doesn't have the yeah. business side of it, or he probably yeah. did, but he didn't like it. No, and and then there's the bit, right? So you kind of need a little bit of both. Yes. And that's yeah. exactly where I found kind of my sweet spot. Went to college. Um, and uh, actually, it wasn't until I studied abroad. I went and lived in, in Italy, in Florence, in Italy. Nice. Uh, and um, Vecchio Bridge. Oh, man. It's just Florence is where my heart is at peace. And yeah. Look my Florence is great. All Italy. I'm just like, yeah, we, we made when we were there for our honeymoon, we made day trips. We went to like San Gimignano and Siena and Pisa. Hey. And, Luca and all that kind of stuff. I remember there was a guy in the Ponte Vecchio Bridge, you know, because for people listening, there's jewelry and there's leather and all kinds of stuff in the Ponte Vecchio Bridge. So there's this very large mall outside of New, uh, New York City called the Short Hills Mall. It's like the premier mall in the area. So we're walking through, this is 20 some odd years ago, we're walking through and the guy says, where are you from? And my wife says, we're from New York, just outside of New York. And they go, actually, New Jersey. She, they go, oh, do you know Short Hills Mall? Right in the middle of Italy. And I looked at him like, Yeah. He's like, oh, we sell all the leather, leather goods to a couple of the stores in the mall. And uh, and this oh. is, you know, before the, the internet. Well, not before the internet, but it was 25. Yeah, early, early. 25, That's about so. when I was living there. You yeah, know, love for it. You had internet cafes still. It was still, you yeah, know, like. Right. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah. The, um, the you know, quick aside, Florence is, is, I live in Italy now two, three months out of the year. Uh, Florence nice. is where I spent a lot of my time. Okay. Uh, and they're no leather. So that makes, that makes sense. Yeah, and it was yeah. Florence. I mean, Florence is the birthplace of the Renaissance, right? It's a magical, <laughs> incredible place it's where banking yeah. invented. You know, that's by where the, the Duomo is, right? The big church Duomo. with all the yeah, yep, 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 yep. exactly. We, we were there. The there was a jumper on the roof. A guy climbed out of the tower, oh, and he's, yeah, and he's on top of the thing. The police are there. They blocked the thing off. We came back and then the guy, the guy's still up there. The cop is like, "You better get down, or we're going to shoot him down." Like it took yeah. their whole day, and they grabbed this guy and pulled him off, pulled him off oh, eventually. My yeah. I haven't had that experience there. It was but crazy. It's like climb up to the top of the Duomo, and I mean th- that place. It's impossible to go to Florence and not be inspired by yeah, the architecture yeah. and the art. And I'm not like a museum guy. That's not me. But when you no, go, but to, it's just an inspiration. You know, the history and you know what went down there, and Da Vinci and Michelangelo and all of these amazing artists, uh, uh, you know, that came out of there through the Renaissance. And that's where I, I really kind of sparked my entrepreneurial uh, drive. I was there for a semester, had an amazing um, Italian entrepreneurship professor. It was the first intro to entrepreneurship course I'd ever taken while I was studying uh-huh. abroad. Uh, and I read um, uh, Seth Godin's The Purple Cow. Sure. Yeah, outdated book yeah. now, but great very book. great book at the time. And uh, Howard Schultz's founder of Starbucks, Pour Your Heart Into It, his autobiography. And I was like, man, this, it, I was like, this clicks. This is like, I'm not the only one who's thinking like this. I'm not right. the only one. Usually and I was like, not. wow, you can use business to give back or make the world difference. And I was really interested in that. I was always volunteering at the American Cancer Society because my mom had died from cancer. Right. And I, and I just, I, I didn't really understand that you could marry the two worlds. Um, and so I came back and the long story short, I, I declared an Italian minor, I'm oh, sorry, an entrepreneurship minor in addition to my yeah. Italian minor. And I joined the entrepreneur program and I was like, these are my people. Because now I could create, I can be creative, my dad's side, I can build, I can see the world, I can storytell, but I can also have some business uh, um, you know, sides of it uh, put together. And so that's kind of how it began. And I joined the Entrepreneur Club and the program. And, and then sure. I started my first business at the age of um, uh, 21, first formal yeah. business. I had some things that we did prior that weren't actually entities that failed, you know, right. Yeah, well, that's how you learn, right? You try things. Yeah. And then I've just been doing it ever since. So that was, um, uh, man, I'm almost 38. So, you know, that was about 16 years ago, 17 years yeah. ago. Yeah. So, so I, I got, I have you by 18 years, right? So when I was yeah. in college, I mean, the word entrepreneur is like a French word. Like nobody, it wasn't, there weren't programs that you were either a microeconomics major, macroeconomics, personal finance, accounting, whatever. And I used to start all these businesses 
but I, I, you know, it just driven to do it. I just wanted to make money. I wanted to figure out how to do whatever. And, but there weren't these programs that later came on and there's so much opportunity now for people to, to learn. I, I think I agree with you. Business um, entrepreneurs are not born. You can have some skills that give you an advantage over other people just by picking sure. it up or whatever, but they are learned and you can learn how to be a good entrepreneur if you marry those proper skills and increase your chances of success. It's not mean you won't fail at some things. You did, I did, whatever. Oh, yeah. I think that's a good, I'm on your side of the argument. I, yeah, I think that, you know, there there are some natural born people, just like there's some natural born athletes. And then there are athletes that work at it to become right. world class. And, and even the natural high. athletes, if they don't work at it, they're not going to be good athletes. That's exactly, right? that's exactly right. I mean, entrepreneurship is a developed skill set. Yeah. It is, it is um, vision, it's fortitude, it's execution. Uh, it's all of these things married into one um, existence. Yeah. It's, uh, it's coachability. It's all of these things. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, so my, my journey into entrepreneurship was really just centered around, um, I wanted to use left and right brain. I wanted to merge philanthropic efforts with business efforts. Uh, and I was always really passionate about how do you use business, the most powerful economic engine in the world to create social impact Yeah, because yeah. this, you know, teach a, teach a man, the fish model versus give him a fish, or this old char- you know, charity model, I think is, is it's broken in the sense of being sustainable. Right. Tax law is set up to encourage people to have tax deductions and all that's fine and dandy. But if you can embed social good into your cogs, right, uh, then you as you scale, if you had cause into your cogs and as you scale your profitability, so does your impact. And then off we go. It's like, you know, what what uh, Yvonne Sherard did at Patagonia and yeah, Mike did it. Yeah, well, he's, and- he's a big he's a you know shining example. I think the guy I was telling you from Sweden, I was talking to him, he's got a company now. He's always been very climate change focused, you know, in Sweden, it was always troubling to him. And they have a company that helps municipalities get from, you know, A to Z when it comes to net zero footprint. You know, they have a, you know, they got to do it by 2035. How do you get there? So they're building those kind of things. But I think that if we had more of that in entrepreneurship, if everybody kind of, it was embedded with them that, you know, not only do you start a business and succeed, but you also should also pay attention to the social impact. We wouldn't have a lot of the problems we have today. I think, you yeah. Know, and you, people yeah, just you making know, money did, and piling on, you know, barreling over each other. When I started, I, I ran something in college called, it was called the Philanthropreneur Society. Now it's called nice. social entrepreneurship, right? Okay. And um, the idea was how do we take philanthropy and entrepreneurship and marry it into one? And when you yeah. look at what, how entrepreneurship built this country, I mean, that's what makes us so great on um, immigrants, right. entrepreneurship primarily, right? And, and job creation over the yeah. years. And, um, and you look at what happened in, in the industrial age and yeah, look and at the oil industry, the oil industry it destroyed the country, but it made right? a lot of money. And, yeah. And, but we didn't know, and I live here at a lot of wealth, right. Where, um, you know, I look out now on the lake and I see all these beautiful trees, but you, if you were to go back, you know, a hundred years ago, it a was lot barren more. because it was there because they logged the whole thing. Yeah, for, just cut it all down. Mining yeah. down the hill on either side, the the silver mines in Nevada right. and the gold mines in California. Yeah, nobody cared and that there's going to be people here in a hundred years. No, and they don't no. care because they're just trying to feed themselves. This isn't right. about self actualization. It's a you know we right. we have evolved so fast um, that uh, it has it has created um, uh, the opportunity to have social entrepreneurship. Whereas before sure. it was about economic. Uh, development and feeding your families and just surviving sure. in a lot of ways in the bottom parts of the hierarchy of needs. And so now we have a responsibility not just to clean up, you know, the last 150 plus years of destruction 
Right. But right. To, to, to change and evolve, our to understand what business is. Yeah. The purpose of yeah. business is not just, in today's world, is not just to produce shareholder returns. Right. Um, and there's a movement of the B corporations and benefit corporations, both certification as well as saying, hey, we're going to adjust our, uh, our articles of incorporation to publicly declare, legally declare, that we are not just here to maximize shareholder returns. Sustainability. Because unfortunately, the way that this was set up, yeah, the way it was set up was if is if you gave away profits um, in a in a traditional energy uh, entity, rather, you actually could be fiduciarily liable for not maximizing shareholder returns. Good not many idea. people were held liable for it, but it was it was the corporate structure was was incorrect. So there's been a movement over the last ten years to have these uh, triple bottom line companies um, uh, be able to actually change the entity structure to say um, it's people, planet, and profits also. Yeah. So. Well, in a very short period of time. Well, look, in a very short period of time, several hundred years, we've consumed this planet. Yeah. And we're doing it at a rapidly growing pace. So, you know, just the consciousness of recognizing that we got to do it differently and more caring from a more caring standpoint. Well, and this is why this is I I wanted to go back. I had a question. Okay, go back. Go ahead. Oh, I remember, and I I don't want to forget about all the social entrepreneurship stuff, but you said you came out of school, it was like 2021. What was the first business that you started? It was a commodities import-export trading company. We were okay. uh, importing, yeah, random. I'll, yeah. I'll give you the genesis of it in a second, but we were importing steel and lumber okay. uh, into Dubai for a massive construction boom that was happening there at the time, right? Like early GFC, before the global financial crisis really hit. Okay. It was booming in terms of construction. I mean, they were building bu- buildings that no one was in, right? They were just building, building, right. building. Yeah, no, I and we had a we had a contact over there um, that was the, uh, on the buy side, and they wanted American lumber, and we said there's an opportunity for us to be sourcers um, and to find to basically cut out the middleman because when you hire a general contractor and they bring the the um, uh, all the materials, there's a big markup. Of course. So what we would do is we go right to the right to the mills. Um, we would broker the deal to the uh, the buyer, the the builder. Um, and we would take margin um, and never take inventory. We'd only own title, so we'd ship it from the uh, from the mill it's to the drop place. Shipped, yeah, yeah, basically drop ship in a much right. bigger area, and we'd leverage the buyer's letter of credit to open our own, et cetera. Um, it was an insanity run. Um, we it took a couple of years to close even our first deal, and then uh, you know overnight we're millionaires, yeah. and overnight we're not. Yeah, uh, I mean, it, it sounds like a crazy endeavor for a 21, 22 year old kid. It was wild. It yeah. was wild. I learned a lot because that to me, I graduated college. I went to USC and, and um, mm-hmm. my folks actually had a, a tough financial run um, when I was in college. They went bankrupt. And so um, while in my freshman year, I didn't, you know, in, in college, an expensive school, we had to really figure out how to, how to pay for this. And so right. um, I took out student loans. They helped and took out student loans. And we did what we could to scrap through. But I graduated with a quarter million dollars of debt. Right. Yeah. It's easy so what do you do today, but. It is. Uh, and, uh, and so I was like, how do I make as much money as quick as possible? I kind of got away from my roots. Right. And um, this, you know, one deal, you can make millions. And so um, that's what we went after. And, and it worked until it didn't. It was all about credit and construction and the, gla- the financial crisis killed both of those. And what was millions right. became tens of thousands and we, that business failed. Um, yeah. And so, and I learned some really important things around that, around getting back to me, getting back to embedding social good into what I do because I was chasing and I got away, you know, going after the program of you make millions and you'll be happy. And I remember we closed this $10 million deal and we celebrated and all that stuff. We worked so hard for it. I woke up the next morning 
And I was so not just hungover, I was just empty and hollow and feeling so dejected that I didn't feel the feeling I did when I went to Italy my first time, which was my lifelong dream. And it was like, oh my God, I'm living my dream. And I, it was one of the first realizations that um, money for its own sake. Yeah. Uh, it's just a sale, right? It doesn't. It, yeah. it sucks when you're broke. I've been broke. That's yeah, way it's better like getting money. high, right? And then it wears off and you're like, ah. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a quick dopamine hit and then it's, and then right. it's gone. And so, and so um, uh, it was the best, one of the better things that ever happened to me. And this is a, a theme of my career. Failures have been stepping stones to oh, getting yeah. Yeah, and fail, you should definitely take bigger steps. There's no question about it. You'll learn yeah. so much more. Hard. So, yeah. So, there, there are a lot of learnings in that. And, okay. and you know, we, we, um, we shut that business down. And then I rededicated my life to starting a company called Roost, which was an online marketplace right. for social entrepreneurs. Okay. And then I have been dedicated to using for-profit business uh, ever since to creating social impact, starting with our so team. You, so, you walked away from the, the lumber broker company with a little bit of money. And you started Roost. Roost is kind of like a, a LinkedIn for social media, social network. Think about it like it was like more like an Etsy dropship oh, okay. marketplace for brands that give back. So whatever they're making or selling, and then and there's a social. So it might not be. It might be a company that's selling something and then giving their profit somewhere, or they, it could be all kinds of different kinds of social. Yeah, and we did the research and the ratings, and then the diligence on them, and then we said what they do. And the, and the thesis was if we could embed into the shopping experience. It was because I'm millennial shoppers. If we right. could embed into the shopping experience, what these companies are doing that's giving back and making the world a better place, that it would affect, it would have higher conversion, higher LTV, higher repeat purchase. And what we found um, is that it actually didn't affect conversion. Uh, it didn't really have demonstrable impact. Well, it did have impact on LTV, customer lifetime value, but um, it, it, we didn't recognize it because they went direct to the brands usually right. do purchase and but what it did do is it, it had a, a massive effect on on viral factor on k factor and um people loved telling other people what they had and what the story was and so we we learned a lot uh we spent about four and a half five years running this business raised a couple million bucks but it was in small amounts over time never really yeah. got funded um and hired and fired a bunch of marketing agencies to help us grow and they sucked so we built a team in-house um, right. and then it worked but then we were too okay. late for the market timing to go raise our next our Series A, and we ran out of money, uh, and um, we had to shut that business down, and it was heartbreaking, okay. yeah. um, but also uh, life changing learning. Here's a word from our sponsors: Looking to promote and grow your business, or perhaps you're just getting started and want to hit the ground running. Email marketing is a great place to start. You can earn thirty two dollars for every dollar spent. AWeber is the best choice for email marketing and automation. From maintaining a subscriber list to building drip campaigns and landing pages, AWeber gives you the tools and integrations you need to make marketing effective and fun. As our partner and sponsor, we use all their tools to promote this podcast and market our law firm. If you think of yourself as a team of one, AWeber is still your best choice for an online marketing tool. Looking to get into podcasting? Maybe to market your business for your own enjoyment or because you have a message you want to get out there. One of One Productions is a New Jersey-based studio just over the George Washington Bridge that caters to the booming business of podcasting. They offer a comfortable atmosphere using the latest technology available to record your podcast. And they are a full-service media company offering both audio and video production services, creating both audio and video podcasts as well as video shorts for business and personal use. 
Professional audio equipment packages are available through their website for all budgets. And be sure to check out their podcast guesting kit, created specially for our listeners. Do you battle chronic pain, stress, anxiety, or depression? Well, if you take any supplements or you're interested in natural alternatives, you need to know about findyourhealthyplace.com. Find Your Healthy Place has thousands of supplements to help you live a better quality of life, as well as natural solutions for chronic pain, stress, anxiety, depression, sleeplessness, and much, much more. Need guidance? Use their live chat feature and talk to a wellness consultant right on their website. And be sure to use our coupon code TAEPODCAST for all your purchases to get the best prices at findyourhealthyplace.com. Follow their links in the show notes to learn more about all of our sponsors. And now back to our show. And so I joined a venture capital firm after that to say, I'm going to learn how this process, how the sausage is made. Um, And I started advising and consulting on the marketing engine side because I had built a really good, that worked, it just took too long. And that's what actually started Stealth Venture Labs. Uh, It really was spinning out the marketing engine from the previous failed business that did work. The marketing engine worked, the business model didn't, the market didn't work. Um, and, uh, and we became, uh, we've become one of the premier growth engines for brands like HelloFresh and Mudwater and Factor 75 and Home Chef and a bunch so of So Stealth Venture is not the company you joined. It's you had joined a venture capital group to learn about venture capital. And then you started Stealth Venture. I, yeah. The Which VC is like a kind company. of an incubator accelerator type of thing. We, we are, we are, um, uh, our core business at Stealth Venture Labs now is a growth marketing agency for e-commerce okay. Um, we have an incubator attached to it where we start our own brands in-house and help brands come to market. Just okay. uh, helped uh, Kevin Hart bring a brand to market called Vita Hustle. Uh-huh. We have our own in-house brand uh, called Nona Live, which is a live stream pasta making experience with Italian grandmothers okay. uh, out of Italy. Um, okay. Out of Italy? They're in? Yeah. Italy? Yeah. yeah. We have, uh, we have uh, actually four That's studios awesome. in these apartments in a small village outside of Italy when it's live stream cooking classes with them, interactive. So, you're so people like sign up for the class and they do it at huh. home live with these women. Yep. yep. What's it's it called? called? I got to tell my wife. My wife's Yeah, I'll, I'll get you a class. It's called Nona Live. Um, and I'll happily give your your uh, discount to your listeners too. Nona means Ita- uh, means grandmother in Italian. Yeah. Obviously. So um, so yeah, Nona Live. And, and that, that's been great. Um, and that's grown like crazy. Um, and then we have a nonprofit. And our nonprofit yeah. is uh, teaches e-commerce and digital marketing skills to disadvantaged, low-income kids, primarily in kind of the inner cities, um, but uh, all over nice. the United Yeah, a little give back. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, how long Stealth been in business now? We've been doing this about eight years. Uh, for a while, before yeah. the pandemic. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I, I, I took my team uh, 100% remote uh, seven years ago. So we, we were one of the first. Um, and we've been a remote-first company for seven years and um you know no brick and mortar offices at all i gave that up i gave that up seven years ago um and found uh, a tremendous competitive advantage at the time in sourcing team and talent uh anywhere in the country not having to pay bay area los angeles new york salaries per se but still getting better talent um and uh you know obviously that's gone away that that competitive advantage for us because now everyone is in a hybrid of course now everybody's happy yeah. But one of the challenges I think people are having and seeing is like, how do you intentionally build an award-winning culture? Pre-pandemic, prior to the pandemic, we, you know, we had, and through the pandemic, we had like a 5% turnover rate, really low, you know? Oh, that's very low nowadays. 
I'm oh yeah, the great. The great. You know, obviously, some things have shifted in the in this market. But what we've we've had a few people leave, but then they went away. For, we have a lot of people go away for like six months, and then they're coming back. Yeah, we're hiring. So like people. it sucks out there. So like it's a little cold out there. This was actually yeah. pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah. So so how do these? So like, known alive is a separate company, right? That you guys support or invest in because they're they have studios over. Correct. It's a separate entity. <laughs> we helped co-found, um, invested into. Uh, it's a, it's a complex structure just due to the fact that it's international. We have an American entity and an Italian entity and all that stuff. Um, a real estate entity, um, you know, to be able to kind of do everything in. But um, there's a CEO of the business, my co-founder. She's the majority stakeholder. We are minority uh, and um, have, we're the co-founding team to get them to their first seven-figure run rate amount. Um, and then they just went through a really great uh, a really great incubator in Hawaii called Blue Startups. And so okay. if you took like a pin from Italy and put it through the globe, uh, you know, the Hawaii. Other, it's Hawaii, right? And so they flew okay. around the world and spent um, six weeks there going through a Silicon Valley style tech incubator um, and just nice. graduated. In fact, they're on their way to me as we speak. So yeah. what, what? let's talk a little bit about venture capital because, you know, yeah. I think a lot of people, you know, they have this, this you know, inflated view of, like, you know, when should you raise money? How much money, sh- how much money should you raise? Can you raise money? How do you raise money? You know, when, when is your business viable to raise, you know, capital? You must see yeah. a lot of businesses. So there's four stages of, of capital raising you know, and with, a, with an alternate fifth. First stage um, is your own money, right? Second right. stage is uh, family and friends. Right. Or they call it the family, friends, and friends. Right. A couple hundred Third. grand to get started, right? Yeah. Third stage is angels, which sometimes family and friends as well. Fourth stage would be a venture capital, and that can go forever. And fifth could be private equity, depending. Okay. Um, and, but but the the other one is is customer financing. Sell your way through the problem. You don't raise any money. You just use. That's how we. Right. Probably, I mean, a lot of people raise. should just bootstrap their business. Shouldn't raise money. We we didn't raise any money at Stealth um, because I didn't want to have that. I knew we'd be smaller. We would grow um, slower. Yeah. But, it starts the genesis of fundraising. People think that they start a business and then they go fundraise. You actually have to actually make a decision of what kind of business do you want. To if you want to raise capital from a VC, you need to be a billion dollar market opportunity, at right. least hundred million in revenue in the first five right. years to get there. And if you don't have a path of how that could be feasible or possible or some sort of disruptive thing in the market, typically venture capital is not for you. You're yeah, too because small it's not worth market. it to them. It's not worth it to them to invest in a little. Because if you understand, most people. That's the thing. Most most entrepreneurs don't understand how the VC model works. Right. Venture capital, just in its very very high level side of this, assuming it's not there, you know, like a high net worth individuals' funds. Okay. Um, venture capital raises money from other institutional investors, what they call right. partners, right? LPs. Um, it could be fund the funds. It could be um, endowments at universities. People who need to invest money to get returns. And so the general partners of a VC fund go out and every year, uh, every couple of years, raise a fund and saying. You invest in us. We invest in these small cap or, or big opportunity companies, and here's our IRR, investor return rate. And it okay. needs to be n amount better than what the markets have done over the last bit too. Right. Otherwise, why would they? Right. So, right. so they invest in ten companies, knowing five are going to fail, two will be meh, uh, right? One will uh, be oh, pretty good, base hit. Um, one will be maybe a double, right? And then one's going to be a grand slam. Okay. Right. And so then we'll bring the portfolio returning. And so if they don't think, and this is where I went wrong on my previous company, Roost, it was too small of a market. I didn't understand it at the time. Um, it didn't have enough big market cap opportunity. We were investable, we had good metrics, but it was too small of a market. Yeah. And and so when they looked at it, they said, 
I can't make the math work on how this would bring us portfolio. Which maybe we sell, you know, they put five million in, and maybe we sell for thirty million one day, or forty million, or fifty That's million. Not big one enough day. for them, right? Not big enough for them, right? So, so if you start to understand that and you back it out to your business, and say, okay, am I a type of business that has that big of a market opportunity? If yes, then you may want to consider it. If no, then don't even consider it. Right. Look at your business model and say, how can I create a recurring revenue stream that can compound over time? So the most powerful economic uh, business model is subscription. Yeah. And right, the power of compounding, you grow linearly. I had 100 people a month, just 100 people a month, right? right? Every month, new 100 people a month. Yeah. But then compounding over time, it becomes exponential, right? Sure. I also didn't understand that in the last business. And so if you look at customer-based financing in a manner that allows you to be able to generate your own returns and controls, what that'll do is it'll open up uh, opportunities to either get debt capital through your bank or SBA, you need it, or you may not ever need it. And you may just grow slower. But if you own 100% of a $20 million business, right? Or you own 20% of a $100 million business, Right. But you had to struggle. Like you're, it's the same result. <laughs> yeah, of course. Right. It's just so, the venture capital is not going to invest because they have a lot of capital to deploy. Yeah, exactly. And taking these little companies off thousands of companies won't be able to keep track of anything. And now angel investors um, are interesting because they're middle ground. Right. Sometimes they're okay with being patient. Sometimes it's a lifestyle. Sometimes they just want to be a part of something cool and, you know, they're okay waiting and may not have returns. But you have to be really honest with yourself of what a liquidity could be like. Right. Um, you know, because is liquidity you taking distributions at the end of the year? Is it you selling? Well, they need day? an exit strategy, right? They need a right. way to realize but returns. You, I think what happens is that people get caught up in, I want to go do venture. And like, actually, that sucks. You're basically hiring a boss. You know, yeah. you're, you're, you're bought, you know, investors are going to come in, they're going to come sit on your board, they're going to tell you what to do. They control have control everything, yeah. Fire you, right? And if you don't have an, um, an outcome you want to go after with that, then you might actually be making make yourself miserable so it really centers around with what are you trying to do with entrepreneurship and staying true to yourself uh-huh. not getting caught up by the programs of what we you know we think we need to do or being in tech crunch or going all these though there's a time and a place for that type of business for that and that's great but it starts with what do i want to do am i creating a lifestyle brand it's not derogatory i have right. the richest friends i know and i'm going to put rich in quotes they have financial freedom significant millions but financial freedom but they have a rich quality of life yeah, present with yeah. the family, the friends, they're around. The richest people I know run lifestyle business. Of course. Because that's what it's all about. People right? I know, most right. wealthy people I know with the most amount of money. I have several friends who are billionaires. Some of those miserable people I know. Yeah. Well, look, look at it. Look, take Italy and Europe, right? They live, they don't live to work. They work to live. We live to work mostly in this country. Maybe it's changed a little bit with the pandemic, people are realizing that it's not. Worth it, but that's what it was. It was work, 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 60, 80 hours a week, whatever. And it's, it's, you know, and then your life passes you by. It's too late. I think because my mom died when I was so young, I have always made decisions by saying, 10 years from now, what will I regret? Right. And that has framed my life in a way that has made um, the destination, the journey be the destination versus. The destination is something I'm skating towards because what happens is that like it becomes that stick that uh, the carrot. You fast. Of you course, work. yeah. And even when it, it should never those, be a destination, it should always be about the process. Now, what's interesting too, Mitch, is there's some science that's coming out right now about. I, I love what's happening with this intersection uh, right now in neuroscience 
um, of, of what happens with the, the with dopamine and meditation and entrepreneurship and social right. media. This is a really interesting time. What they're what they're seeing is that the dopamine that we get when we set goals and we grind, 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 grind to get to achieve that goal, and we're friggin' miserable the whole way. By the time we reach that goal, it's so unfulfilling. I did that in Dubai. Right. Says, yeah. Right. Because it's a dopamine's quick. Right. It's in and out. Yeah. Right. It's not a sustainable. And you're miserable along the way. And you're like, and oh, so, shit. And you remember so all the misery. Saying, yeah. That's exactly right. What they're showing scientifically now is the happiest people are the ones that, in, that find joy in the unenjoyable along the way. They they have little hits of dopamine along the way. It's like, wow, you know, I really I really did a good job today. Right. That's hard. Bro. You feel like, good. I feel really good. I'm really proud of what right. I just did. Well, the other yeah. option though is stress, and stress has really bad, does like really bad things to you, really bad things. So the we are not animals that can sustain life in constant states of cortisol. So there's two types of distress, two types of stress. There's U stress, EU stress, right. motivating stress. Something's chasing, got to run, right? Or yeah, I need to do right. something to get a deadline. And then it goes down. And then there's distress or chronic stress where you're at that level and you stay there. Yeah. What happens when your amygdala fires and you're in this fight or flight, right? All the time, right? Which the emails comes in, the clients need this and whatever yeah. it may be, boom, all the time, all the notifications, you know, the slack, everything can get reached out all the time. You end up in this high state of cortisol. And what happens in the state of cortisol is every other function in your body is basically told, hey, take a back seat. Right. We're driving, including your immune system, right? Yeah. Including your sex drive, yeah. including sex, your right. brain power, yeah. including all of that stuff, right? And, and it creates and manifests disease and all yeah. sorts of yeah. issues because your body shut down because you're in fight or flight. That is a system built there to keep us from running, you know, to keep us from getting eaten on a savanna, so to speak. Yeah, but our world we've evolved too fast for the evolution of our body. So, what has to happen? And I was uh, not a believer in meditation. I'm not a sit cross-legged say um guy yeah. until I started to understand the neuroscience, and until I hit my own breaking point through depression yeah. and stress, and um, my life basically unfolding in front of my eyes in just a way that I was I hated. And I said, I need to change everything. And it's, that's when I, when I got still and I found some amazing programs. I read some amazing books and started to understand what happens to your brain waves to be able to go from distress to eustress, to regulate the, the refractionary period between when you spike, when you come yeah. back down. To yeah, sure. Now, now, look, I've had clients, unfortunately, came to me and they didn't do that. And then an aneurysm when they were 52 and working so hard and never told their family anything, didn't plan on what they needed to do. And and the family's trying to figure things out. So they're just, you know, just not worth it. I knew a guy who was, he was resigning from his, I think it was his cabinet, and appointing his successor. Like, let's say he was the managing partner and had a heart attack and died while he was writing the letter. Fuck. They found him slumped over. Are you kidding? So you hear stories like that. And I'm, you know, I have, there was a time um, uh, several years ago, the same time I was just kind of talking about the chronic depression and stress. I thought I was having a heart attack. I was like 30 yeah. and I had distress, such pressure. Right? Yeah. yeah. It was distress, constant and chronic. And I went to the doctor and I did all the tests and they put me on the things and the travel. And they're like, you're just stressed, buddy. Right. Figure you're just out. freaking out. <laughs> you're just freaking out. Yeah. And what happens is this is the dark side. So, so entrepreneurship is absolutely beautiful, but what's not talked about enough is the mental health oh, that yeah. goes. Got to be it. real careful because if you can't deal with it, look, there are people you and I both know that should not be entrepreneurs. Yeah. 
Maybe they should just 100%. go work for a company, come home and live their life and get their pension and fine. Nothing wrong. It's not glamorous being an entrepreneur. Right. It seems glamorous on television, right? No. When you go to shark Harder than anything you could do. The hardest freaking thing yeah, in the world. You got to like it on the bad days. It's no question. Yeah. And, and then you got to feel, you know, so you really got to be passionate about it. And so um, stress and, and really in like real serious chronic depression, right? If you look at the general population, the NIH reports that about 30% of the uh, 20 to 30% of the general population has some point had chronic um, depression, right? Yeah. Um, when you take the subset of entrepreneurs, it's something like 65%. Yeah. Right. And, and then it just gets even higher when you go into like, like real serious clinical depression, uh, thoughts per week. Per, so it's because we're under pressure cookers. So, you know, entrepreneurship is, uh, is about if we can switch it from, we have to get an exit. I have to sell this one day. I need to get this one client. If I can just get this many employees. If I just get the office, right. if, I, if just, I just, if I know, just, if I just, if I, if we can switch it to, Hey, the destination isn't promised. Fine. How do we enjoy the journey along the way as we yeah. move towards the destination? Right. And how do we take care lives. of ourselves? Yeah, of course. How do we take care of ourselves along the way? I was just at a demo day in San Francisco, um, you know, tech startup demo day. Two out of the 10 cohort companies in there were about mental health in the workplace. Really awesome people yeah. um, coming out of big time companies saying we have a mental health problem and how do we create fun, engaging apps and ecosystems and meeting stuff to be able to have our work t- our workplace be a healthier place yeah. for people. So, you know, if, if, if we can switch, this is where the, the matrix kind of comes in like the program, right? Yeah. The default program, we're told what will bring happiness, either through media, society, all these different things. Right. We can switch it. If we yeah. can switch it from reframing and saying, it's not just about the destination. Yeah, I want to get there. I want to, sure, we all have goals. Yeah, but if you blew, blew 30 years of your life, now you're 70 years old, you know, what do you got left? Yeah, and so how do we, find, how do we like in this moment, I'm, I'm really grateful. It's about slowing down. Taking a breath and being like, Mitch, I'm really happy and excited to be talking with you about this and really feeling that, letting your body feel that. Yeah. Because no matter what happens the rest of the day, I'll look back on this. I'll be like, man, that was, that was fun. And that was a highlight. And there's a little dopamine going through right now. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Little wins, little things. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now Brent, what kind of uh, industries do you like? What kind of businesses do you see that you, that you guys like to invest in? Is it more about the person than the, than business? I'd like to know what your thoughts are. So I like businesses personally. So I'm on an interest, I'm at an interesting place in my career. I'm an angel investor. Um, I have seen the VC side being an entrepreneur in residence at that VC fund. Right. I'm an operator of businesses and I'm a service provider to big businesses. Okay. <laughs> right. So I see the full gap. What I like is businesses that really understand supply chain, um, supply chain competitive advantages. And that could be labor modeling. Okay. That okay. could be service modeling, or that could be how cutting out middlemen. If if we can go in and say, all right, I'm going to go direct to the factory, and I'm going to I'm going to source, and I'm going to cut out six people and pass the savings on to the consumer in a way that makes it better, faster, stronger, you'll win online. Okay. If I can okay. have labor uh, that is cheaper, better, stronger, or technology or software that allows us to do a service that typically was done for hundred dollars an hour, and I can do it for thirty, but with better fidelity, I like that stuff. And that is that is um, uh, across any industry. And you know, when it comes to like technology, I think the the service providers, or not service providers, but like software companies and entrepreneurs, it really comes down to the the executor. 
First-time entrepreneurs on investing have the highest risk and the highest reward because you get the lowest valuation. Right. But what happens unless you have governance or control, like most VC funds do, we don't do, we don't take that model. We don't take boards to any of that stuff. Um, uh, unless you have control, you don't have a lot of, you, you like watch sometimes an operator running full speed into a landmine and you're like, you're about to step on a land and they right. do great. And they do. So um, first-time entrepreneurs are hard. I really like backing entrepreneurs who've done it before. Um, yeah, you have people and, with some experience. And you said most of the businesses you look at are e-commerce-based. Some, Yeah, the most businesses we work with at Stealth Venture Labs on our agency, our growth agency, that are all e-commerce. Um, okay. And the businesses that I've started are all e-commerce because I know that that world. That space, right. But we have um, started looking at some other investments in, in other areas. And in the upcoming years, we'll probably raise a fund of our own and things like that. But right now, we're just really focused on the core business, which is um, which is our service business, the agency. The okay, cool. Well, you, you got a lot to share and you, you've had a lot of experience in your 38 years on your on Earth, which is really a short period of time. You're still a young guy. How can people interact with you, You know, learn from you, learn about Stealth Venture or just even learn about, you know, the, learn the knowledge that you have? Yeah, so uh, stealthventurelabs.com is the core okay. site. Um, uh, you know, I'm on LinkedIn. That's, uh, that's a, okay. a good way to reach me. You know, Brent, Brent J. Freeman. Um, my Instagram uh, is uh, Brent double underscore Freeman. Okay. Um, those are kind of the fastest ways. I am writing a book, uh, probably will be published in 24 ish. Okay. Um, centered around kind of ca- encapsulating all of this uh, and more around how to go inward and really tap into what I call your inner joy, which Good. are the things that make you smile from the inside out and how to build that so you can enjoy the journey along the way and this protocol that I've kind of done and built to help me. Yeah. Um, and so on those channels, that's where that's that content will come out. It's kind of all just I'm building behind the scenes. And so you got to write a book. You got a lot to share. So. There's a lot going on there. A lot of great thoughts. So I appreciate you coming on today. We'll put all those links in the show notes for great. people want to follow you and get in touch with you. And uh, on a on a for me uh, Friday afternoon, you're a little bit earlier. I thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Mitch. This was fun. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Accidental Entrepreneur. Opening and closing music written and performed by Howie Moskovich and made to order music. For more information about Howie and his music services, please follow the link in our show notes. If you like the podcast, please tell others about us. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, on Amazon Music, Spotify, and most of the other podcast directories. If you like what you hear, please leave us a five-star review and feel free to share our episodes on social media. If you have any questions or comments, ideas for the show, or you'd even like to appear as a guest, reach out to us by email at info at the Accidental Entrepreneur is hosted by Mitch Beinacker and produced by Beinacker Law. If you'd like to learn more about our business and legal services, you can find us on social media or visit our website at beinackerlaw.com. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our feed to be notified of all future episodes.